Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. It's another Bisexual Brunch with Nikki Hodgson, Lewis Oakley and Ashley Byrne. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. So welcome to another Bisexual Brunch. And uh, this time we're going to be finding out a little bit more about those bisexual apes, the, uh, the bonobos. That's what they call them, isn't it, Nikki? Bonobos. That's right, Ash. And we've got an absolutely fantastic interview with a very, very talented woman who works with them. I just, my mind was blown by some of the things she was saying, so it's super fun. Yeah, we'll be hearing about that a little bit later on. Um, and probably learning from them, I think. Maybe learning from the bonobos. <laughs> be quite interesting. Um, but before we, um, before we do that, obviously, you know, we're hurtling towards the towards the end of the year and everyone's looking for a little bit of, uh, a bit of good news, I suppose. And... Um, We've had a little bit, haven't we? Because the the ban in uh, in Britain is it in the whole of Britain? Or is it just England and Wales we're talking about? Because obviously it splits up into Northern Ireland, Scotland, or whatever. But there's the the ban has been lifted, hasn't it, on um, gay and bisexual men being able to give uh, blood donations? Uh, I've not really looked at the detail of this, but um, it seems to be a positive move, and of course, long overdue, Lewis. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, it's one of those things like my stepson has needed blood transfusion. So it's something I've always actually wanted to do to go and give blood. I know a lot of other gay and bisexual men have as well. So it's great that that's being made a lot easier and great that we're kind of going more on the scientific route. One thing I haven't read here that that's uh, mentioned is because we were in a really weird situation where I could technically give blood because even though I'm bisexual, I haven't um, had sex with a guy for years. Um, but my fiance couldn't give blood allegedly because she is having regular sex with a, a guy that identifies as bisexual. And I can't see that that's changed. So there, there still may be work to do here. Yeah, it does seem a little bit, you know, I think there are some definitely some complexities. But I, I do gather the idea is that they've, that they're now the heterosexual world will be replicating the gay and bisexual world, won't they? That in terms of partners, in terms of they'll be checking. Uh, or asking people how many partners they've had over a certain period of time and and whether they've been active in different ways, anal sex or whatever it may be. Oral and anal sex, I think, is the issue. So that's quite good that there seems to be a little bit of equality there. What do you what do you make of it, Nikki? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that element is long overdue. Like I've talked about before, I can't give blood because I used to be dominatrix, which is just absolutely ridiculous still. But um, that everything's based on statistical risk instead of actual practice, like what people get up to. And surely that's a better way of doing it. It's definitely better in terms of equality, but surely it's better in terms of the science. Because I think the modelling they'd done was so old fashioned, was maybe 30 years out of date in terms of people's sexual behaviours, that it just wasn't keeping people safe anymore. 
I suppose the issue here, though, is also trust, though, isn't it, to an extent? They can ask people, can't they? And they can have a window, but people break rules. You know, we know that it's happening all the time in the COVID situation. That's about the spread of a, you know, of a virus, etc. So how how can you police this kind of thing properly? And that's what worries me a little bit, that we may end up being in this situation. It sounds great, but are there going to be stories that come up at some point in the future where we, we find out that people have really broken the rules and we end up going back to square one again? A lot of what to do with stigma hasn't it so the reason people don't tell the truth about what they get up to is because they think they're going to be judged for doing it so if you can take the stigma off having certain kinds of sex having unprotected sex be just being real about what people actually get up to then you're more likely that they will be honest and therefore that kind of that keeps the blood supply healthy and enables everyone to stay well so i think that has got to be kind of like the key factor i mean i personally can't imagine a whole ranch of bi and gay men now giving blood if they think they've got HIV or something. I mean, it just, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Like, there's no motivation there to do the wrong thing. People might do the wrong thing because they slip up on the date or, you know, because they unwittingly are, are carrying, but I can't imagine anyone doing anything purposeful. Uh, Lewis, is there anything specifically around bisexual men that is important to recognise here? Because, you know, we just I've just talked about that, um, people uh, and their honesty and trust and all the rest of it. And I'm not saying that any bisexual men uh, aren't going to be, you know, um, open and, and, and about the situation and, and honest. I'm not saying that. But the whole issue of being a bisexual man sometimes comes with lots of issues around it, doesn't it? In terms of being open and being happy about being open and all those kind of things. So when it comes to expressing yourself and talking about your sexual health, and okay, I know you can go to clinics and it's private and all that kind of thing. But what I'm saying is there's a whole load of baggage, isn't there? And is it something that these um, these authorities need to be aware of and something we need to consider? You know, does there need to be more more done to recognise the, the bisexual situation? Well, absolutely. I think um, in, some, in some instances, you know, gay men are more open with being out. We know that. Um, and so they're more likely to, to, to be going forward. You know, this hasn't properly been looked at specifically on bisexuals. So there are stats that show that bisexuals are like the least likely in the LGBT to actually be out to their general practitioner. So you you might say, you know, is is blood donation another area where bisexuals were going back into the closet? They just weren't saying that they were bisexual because, you know, they're dating a woman or they're single or whatever. They, they haven't had regular sex with a man. That, so they're like, well, there's no point in them even knowing I'm bisexual because then that's just another roadblock that stops me. So there's probably stuff going on that we, we haven't properly looked at. But I know that for, for being out to your general practitioner is, is really low. And, you know, when we look at the healthcare more widely, when someone comes out as a bisexual, we know that they're not the best at dealing with it. They don't really know what to do with that. They don't really know like the specifics of how, how a bisexual person, like what, what they're more at risk of, such as mental health or whatever it, or whatever it might be. Um, so I think that there's definitely gaps in our, in our healthcare system when it comes to bisexual people because they just, they, they can't believe it. I, I mean, I remember like um, going to a sexual health test um, years and years ago and I was obviously out bisexual and they asked me about my previous partners. I kind of went through them and it was like a mix of men and women. And the, the, the health woman was like, so um, are we thinking maybe bisexual then? I was like, what gave it away? Like, obviously, if I'm having sex with men and women, what did you think? 
Um, and I feel like it was the, it was the more the tone of just her being like, what does this mean then? Because you've been having sex with men and women, which is not, so, which is not used to it. Um, so I, I, do, I feel like there's more to be done. That's probably the, the most, the nicest way I can put it. Yeah, and also, of course, there are um, people who have, men who have sex with men. We have that whole thing of men, you know, MSM, men, men who have sex with men, who don't necessarily recognise themselves by a particular label, do they? And they may have had the odd thing or whatever it may be. So, you know, being able to reach out to those, those people is a difficult one as well. And also the age groups as well. I often think that this is something which is focused, Nikki, on very much on, really, on younger people often. You know, younger people are, are and, and yes, they're probably more sexually active, but older people are sexually active. And of course, a lot of bisexual people are in are in the closet. You know, they've got difficulties expressing themselves in different ways to their partners or whatever it may be. Um, and we've had various stories, haven't we, in the news over over many years, on, you know, on and off, of older people getting themselves into real situations around HIV and AIDS and, and being quite shocked by it suddenly, that it's, it's, it's affected their lives. So that's an area we need to remember as well, isn't it, Nikki? Yeah, I think it's interesting because obviously with blood donation, younger people are targeted as donors because they're likely to be a healthier um, and the idea is that if you get them into donating young, then they'll carry on doing that for the, you know, whatever, 20, 30, 40 years of their life. So they're kind of a good supply, basically. So that's kind of like that, you know, if, if the messaging is, seems like it's exempting older people, that's probably why it's doing it, just from a practical perspective. That's kind of what I was thinking about it. But yeah, you're completely right. Certainly with STIs and HIV, there was a rise in over 50s um, of all orientations about 10 years ago. And what we are very bad at as a country, as a society, is sending out messages that target particular groups as they need to be targeted, but also don't let anyone off the hook. We're very, very quick to judge young people for spreading infections, being reckless, being careless. But the reality is that people, as they get older, don't necessarily get any wiser, especially around sexual health. Just yeah. before we move off the topic, I found the statistic from Stonewall. I knew I had it in my notes somewhere. Um, so 40% of bisexual men and 29% of bisexual women are not um, out to any healthcare professional about their sexual orientation. Highest in the LGBT because it, it averages out at 19% of LGBT people on out to a healthcare professional. There you go. There you go. And, and, and Nikki, women. I mean, we're talking very much about generally here about gay and bisexual men has been the, the headline. But, the, you know, bisexual women aren't really properly discussed in this area, are they, to be fair? No, they're not discussed at all. And I think if... I always think that if you are a bisexual woman, you are probably more open to having sex with other people of different orientations. And therefore there probably is a slightly increased risk and therefore there should probably be some special targeting and literature addressed to your healthcare needs of which there isn't. But I think the reason that this law has changed is that it's mainly been gay men campaigning for it and taking bi men along with them in a kind of broader campaign that's against uh, discrimination against homosexuality. And that's why women have been left behind. Overall, this is a step in the right direction, isn't it? Of course it is. And it's inevitable that once you've talked about bi men, you are going to talk about bi women. You know, these, these conversations lead us to talk about other people who are next to each other who haven't been attended to yet. So it's only a matter of time. 
And I noticed, Lewis, um, we'll probably talk about this more in the new year, but there seems to be a lot more... Well, let's put it this way. Whether they're doing the the stats like we'd like them to be done, i.e. they're focusing more and more on, you know, focusing, really boiling it down to the B, as it were. But I've noticed there are a lot more studies seem to be coming out trying to emphasise the bisexual side of things. So there was one out a couple of days ago, which is talking about um, the whole area of diet and eating. And apparently there's a lot of, I mean, to be honest, the statistics are very close. that They were comparing bisexual men and gay men and they were saying there was more um, uh, bi men to gay men uh, who were worried about their their weight and were taking things to an extreme and all the rest of it. But the figures were actually very close, to be fair. So they were, I think they were making a, a, a big issue out of something which um, probably hasn't been studied uh, massively. But what I'm saying is, it seems that there does seem to be a, a journey that is being made towards people and organisations focusing a bit more on understanding the whole issue of of um, bisexuality. So hopefully that's something we can press um, in the new year. I mean, had you, had you seen that report on eating disorders and stuff, Lewis? I actually haven't seen that one, but you are right. You are getting more of it. So good. My bullying is paying off of these professional bodies that I'll come after you if you try and lump us in with the LGBT. I'll come for you. Um, no, I mean, it's good, but kind of like what you said, sometimes it's a bit pointless too. And it's one of those things that there, there's never going to be a, 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 a kind of roadmap for it. You've just got to be like smart and ethical. And if it makes sense to break them down, then it makes sense. Sometimes it might make sense that actually if there's not a big difference between gay and bisexual men on this issue. We've looked at it. So we, we can just say gay and bisexual men for this. Like that's kind of okay. But you know, I don't know. I, I'm glad that we're seeing some changes. I actually haven't seen that report, and I don't know how, because I get Google alerts on, on just the word bisexual every day, but somehow it's escaped me, but I will have a look at it. Univ- University of the United States basically have done a study into the whole issue of, um, of, of, of body image, as it were, and how people feel about their image, whether they feel they're too fat or too thin or that kind of thing. And, and you know, apparently there's an issue around bisexual men. But we, we, we better not go into it too too much because we don't know the detail, but it's something we should look at in in, in the future, definitely. So we're, we're sort of ending the year on a positive note. And in a few moments' time, we're going to see if we can learn a bit more um, from uh, those bisexual apes because we've uh, got that wonderful interview uh, with Kirsty Graham from the University of St Andrews coming up in just a few moments. You're listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. I've had mental health problems, I think, for most of my life. Suicide is sadly something which affects people from all backgrounds. My friends didn't quite understand why I was being the way I was being, so support was was pretty much non-existent. A brand new podcast brought to you by the Zero Suicide Alliance. I'm Professor Alice Roberts and this is Life Matters. Few people understand that you just actually just need to just sit and listen to what the person's saying. We do know that there are some people who tend to be more at risk than others. In our feature on the latest initiatives from around the world, we find out how three schoolgirls from Brazil have developed a suicide prevention app aimed at Generation Z. If something bad happened to me today, I'll go there and add a drop of water. We're with the team at Hollyoaks to hear how they've been showing how soap can inspire life-saving conversations among men at risk of suicide. I just feel absolutely nothing at all. Nothing, just dead. 
This way you get to see Darren's journey behind the scenes. He's really struggling and he doesn't know how to reach out. He doesn't know how to get help. You know, it's always been his taboo subject. Join me, Professor Alice Roberts, for the very first edition of Life Matters. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts and visit zerosuicidealliance.com for a free online awareness course that could help you save lives. Only on Distinct Nostalgia. When I ran out of children's books, I used to read from Woman's Own. Who knew a four-year-old would be gripped by an article on cross-stitch? We're uniting the ages with Generation Games, a series of comedy and drama monologues and duologues coming exclusively to Distinct Nostalgia. Stories exploring connections, friendships and relationships between people across different age groups, beginning with Missing You, starring June Brown, and Sam Barnard. Mum thinks I need protecting, but I need protecting from love. Pity that social worker of his can't do something useful for a change. Contact the noise abatement lot. Put in a complaint. I like her, I said, and then silence. What's the problem? I asked. She'll take advantage of you, Mum warned. Missing You by Richard Verjet with the legendary June Brown only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. I'm Dr. Kirsty Graham. I'm a research fellow at the University of St. Andrews, and I study bonobos and how they use gestures to communicate. Sounds a fascinating job to me. (laughs) It's lots of fun. Okay, well, obviously, we're talking to you for bisexual brunch. You know, we're obviously very interested um, in, uh, you know, our, our, our bisexual colleagues in the ape world, as it were. But first of all, before we start that, just tell us a little bit about them, because there might be people out there who have no idea what they are. So if you can sort of, you know, just start from the basics, really, what these creatures are, what they do, how long they've been around, where they live, just the basics, if you can. Lots of people know that uh, humans are really closely related to chimpanzees, but not as many people know that bonobos are actually equally related to humans. So bonobos and chimpanzees, um, they diverged, so they became separate species around one million years ago. And we think this happened when a small group of their ancestors crossed the Congo River uh, to the south during a period when the river was dry. And then as water levels rose again, they got cut off. And so then we had this speciation event, which meant that the apes to the south of the river, um, they got cut off. So the gene flow stopped and they became a separate species. And those are bonobos. They look a lot like chimpanzees. They're a little bit smaller, but their social behavior and their sexual behavior is very different. Before we hone in on the bisexual side, which we we, we obviously want to, because you're being interviewed for bisexual brunch, uh, what's What is different about them? They have very striking differences in their social groups. So for chimpanzees, the male chimpanzees really form the center of the group. The males form strong coalitions. They support one another in fights. They conduct a lot of um, patrols alongside the borders of their territories. Um, There's sort of really strong male social bonds in chimpanzees. And the females are a lot more peripheral. So they're more likely to spend more time on their own and with their small 
more like family units. But for bonobos, the females are really central. Um, and so while for chimpanzees and bonobos, when they're teenagers, females go to another group and uh, join that group. And so chimpanzee females, they sort of always stay separate. But at this period where they join another group for bonobos, um, they become a huge part of the social group. Um, the teenagers find older uh, female adult bonobos, they form strong social relationships with them, and they get this whole sort of social family support with a group of individuals that they're not really genetically closely related to. Um, and that is facilitated through, largely through what is called GG rubbing, um, which is genitogenital rubbing. Um, and the female bonobos, they embrace each other with their um, stomachs together and they have these very large genital swellings that they then rub together. Um, and so that's sort of their way of making friends, of relieving stress, of forming these really strong female-female um, social relationships. Have you spent a lot of time watching them then, as it were? What, what's, it, what's it like being that close to these creatures? Yeah, my so my PhD research, uh, I spent two periods of six months with them um, at a field site called Wamba in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Um, and the bonobos there are habituated, so you can get to within five metres of them. We don't go closer because they're still, they're wild animals. We need to be respectful to them. We don't want to disturb them. We want to watch them in as natural a way as possible. Um, but it's pretty incredible being around them. You sort of watch, you get to know them, you get to know their personalities, you watch the young ones grow up a bit. It's quite incredible. And they all do have personalities, don't they? I mean, it's like it's like any animal. It's like cats and dogs. They've all got different personalities, haven't they, at the end of the day, just like human beings, you know? Yeah, the field of personality study for non-human species is really growing because it's very clear that they do have all of these individual differences in how they interact with one another, in their behaviour, in so many different parts of their lives. So let's focus on the bisexuality side of things. This is the thing that made the headlines, of course, uh, for, your, for your study. So tell us a little bit about that and explain to us why and how they show bisexual tendencies, as it were. So the bisexuality for bonobos is most uh, obvious, most prominent in the females. Um, so they have sexual relationships with both male and female bonobos. Um, they they probably, I'm not sure frequency wise, um, I'd need to look it up from sort of, from my own observations, um, it seemed that they engaged in female-female sexual behavior more frequently um, than female-male. But they, I mean, it's really interesting. They do very similar vocalizations for both. So whether they're copulating or GG rubbing, their vocal communication is pretty similar, which indicates that this is not just like a social mechanism. They are actually enjoying it. Um, it's, it's all part of their um, sexuality. It's something that's been known for quite a long time. So the research station that I worked at um, is run by Kyoto University, um, and they established it in the 1970s. And from they were one of the first uh, researchers, like research sites, to be set up studying bonobos. And from very early on, it was clear that they were doing something very different from chimpanzees. Um, 
which I guess is interesting because a lot of the chimpanzee field sites that are still around today were set up at a similar time. And while we were getting reports of intergroup killings and lots of fatal aggression in chimpanzees, as well as tool use and lots of interesting social behavior. But from the bonobos, their sexual behavior was always what set them apart from chimpanzees. So in the male bonobos, is the, are there also signs of bisexuality as well? Or is it just not, I mean, is it there, but not as pronounced as it were? Yeah, there are. There seem to be some differences by um like again personality differences um individual differences um so in more bisexuality has been reported in captivity um in captive groups of bonobos um they perform a behavior that is called penis fencing (laughs) um where they just like it's it's exactly what it sounds like. They're just sort of fencing with their erect penises. Um but I think in in the wild that's been it's kind of less a lot less frequent than the female bisexuality. Um although it still does occur. You could say that a lot of uh, human males do that in a metaphorical way, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously as you said before, you know that we know there's a a link between humans and the the species does it say anything do you think about humans by you know studying these these animals is there anything that it says about i mean because you know i'm talking to you uh, as part of um, the team bisexual brunch we know um being bisexual that bisexuality is very prevalent it's been around a long time but and for, since the time, you know, since, since the beginning, obviously, but we struggle to get heard in many ways. We struggle to sort of for people to understand that there are nuances and things like that. And it's um, it's really quite hard just explaining even to, you know, even to lesbian and gay people who've struggled for a long time that bisexuality exists. You know, there's a lot of prejudice both on the straight side of the world and also on the LG, on the L and G side. I suppose what I'm trying to say is, does this help? Or could this help in terms of just explaining that, you know, bisexuality is out there, it's everywhere, it exists, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm also bisexual and I'm very familiar with the experience of bi erasure. Um, My partner, my current partner is a man and so often my bisexuality gets ignored or not noticed. Um, So very familiar with that phenomenon. I think it's really interesting looking across species, not only species that are closely related to us, which obviously show this variation in sexuality and sexual behavior, but also across the animal kingdom. And there's a really nice book that I would recommend called Evolution's Rainbow, um, Diversity, Gender and Sexuality um, in Nature. And it's by Joan Roughgarden. It's a really wonderful book and it shows how varied um sexuality is in the natural world. I think it's always to be taken with caution because obviously the human experience comes alongside so much um, culture, so much social learning, um, our whole system of language. There's just, there's so much extra going on for humans, but it definitely is helpful in understanding that there is so much variation in sex and sexuality in nature. 
Do you think we could learn? I mean, you've observed them, haven't you? You've observed what they get up to. So, you know, do you think we could learn one or two things from them? <laughs> I mean, they, are they are they more are they generally more affectionate? You know, is are there are there differences in the way? Do you think in the way human beings act and and they act? You know, are they? You know, is there something special about what they what they do? Yeah, I think for the bonobos, I mean, I guess their way of solving problems always or very often comes down to sex, which would be impractical a lot of the time. <laughs> when they're like, if they're stressed out, they found some a really nice fruit tree, but there's just too many of them. They solve that with a bit of GG rubbing, which in a lot of settings would be completely impractical and inappropriate for us. I think what's really nice about bonobos i guess they're they're quite laid back in a lot of things they do their lives are revolve around like lots of social activities and so i think that's one thing that we're all finding challenging currently is how do we continue to foster these social relationships while we're at a distance from our friends and family while we're interacting virtually i think probably the the biggest thing highlighted by watching other great apes, be they bonobos, chimpanzees, gorillas, orangutans, um, is how important those close social relationships are for all of us. Um, and so taking extra care to recognize when we need some of that, those social goings on. And, you know, you've observed them quite closely and you know, is there a obviously there's the, the the sexual side, the actual sex itself, but do you and there's this rubbing and various other things, but do you witness quite a lot of affection as well? You know, is that a genuine thing that you see when you when when you watch them? Yeah, so uh, other great apes groom each other, so they pick um, little bugs and things out of each other's hair, but it's not just so that's not just about cleaning for them they spend way more time grooming one another than is necessary to like pick off all the ticks and bits and things and this is true across primates it's really important for them socially and they show so much care while they're doing it um they sort of they smack their lips together and make these little sort of almost kissing noises as they're doing it and they'll sort of slowly make sure that they've attended to one another and um each one takes their turn and grooms the other one so this this grooming is really important and yeah it can be quite affectionate um social behavior and what about yeah what about i mean do you see them or can have you observed them for any length of time do you notice them obviously they've got the sexual relationships and connections and whatever but do you notice them forming any any special bonds with anybody are they the kind you know do they do they do they have would you would would they have other primates that they're very close to i mean have you observed that at all yeah i think this is a really interesting question because for a long time the study of social behavior has focused on hierarchy and who's winning fights, who is higher ranking than other individuals based on that. But there are more and more researchers looking at their social networks now. Who are you spending all this time grooming with? Like, who do you share food with? Who do you spend the most time with? All of these things. And they're building up a picture of, yes, they do seem to have these close friendships, with one another where like these two individuals 
guaranteed will be like within 10 meters of each other at all times. Um, they'll spend more time grooming one another than they spend grooming anyone else. So once we expand our view beyond just looking at who's fighting with who, we can see these like, yeah, these really clear friendships among individuals and close relationships. That's fascinating, isn't it? Because that could actually tell uh, us a lot about ourselves as well, couldn't it, in longer term? You know what I mean? The more you find out about them, you'll be able to compare that to to human behaviour, you know what I mean? Um, uh, and then on the back to the sex for a second, we'll finish with the sex. <laughs> um, there's often, as you well know, uh, there is often a lot of, um, you know, if you say to somebody you're bisexual, they, they come out with, oh, you're greedy, or they come out with things like, well, they, they think... Underneath it all, ooh, bisexual they must be must be at it all the time. Must be having orgies and all this, that, and the other. You know, um, but <laughs> but but you know, do do you notice any of that kind of behaviour? You know, are they are there things like that going on in the bonobo world? Um, they get very excited when they find the there's a few fruits that are, I don't know it's like these fruits that are the size of a basketball and they come into season like once a year and when that season happens and all these fruits are ripe and lying on the floor the bonobos are sort of constantly feeding and gg rubbing as they're feeding. Um, and so this, yeah, they have these like events that are really exciting for them. And so where they do have a lot more sex and a lot more sexual behavior. Um, but most of the time, probably not. <laughs> like it's kind of something exciting will happen and there's a big event, but sort of on a constant day to day, they're not always having sex. Okay, so food and sex combined. We've got it right then with bisexual brunch, haven't we? The name's the name's perfect. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Kirsty, that's fascinating. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Keep us posted with your research. Let us know how it goes. And uh, we'll we'll come back and visit the bisexual bonobos again in the future. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Take care. Thank you very much. Listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. Do you want a cup of tea? I'll have half a cup. And that caught on. Yeah, that became a kind of catchphrase, I think. It was the hilarious film of 1999. It wasn't anything to do with race or religion or creed or colour. It was as simple as an art student who thinks he's all free and easy creating a model of a vagina and showing it to his mum and thinking that that's going to be okay. East is East by Ayub Khan Din broke new ground by portraying a relationship between a British woman and her Asian husband and their mixed-race family growing up in Salford in the early 1970s. A clash of cultures and generations ensues. Oh, frig off and wash your bastard curtains, you dirty cow. And I swear to God, that's one of the best lines I've ever had to say in my life. But the film had a serious side too, tackling both racism and domestic violence. I threw myself and put all my physical strength into trying to stop him, and I couldn't. In Helsinki, they were saying, I can't believe you've made this film. 
it's incredible because it's showing what life is like for us now. A series of special interviews with Linda Bassett, Leslie Nickel, and Chris Bisson. It was a great script and it was a timely thing to tell because it hadn't been told before. They've done all sorts of incredible things to transport you back in time to give you an authentic feel of what it was like. This series of special interviews is available now at distinctnostalgia.com. From the creators of Bisexual Brunch. Dale, how the hell did I end up here? Based on a true story. What choice do you have? Tell the world that Rock Hudson is gay? You're a good-looking kid. I don't have anyone else on my books like you. How about I start to represent you? A moving 40-minute drama based on the life and career of Rock Hudson. Yes! Good boy. You just made the best decision of your life. Written by Tim Fountain and starring Michael Xavier and Betty Bourne. Rock! Rock? Strong. Masculine. Rock Fitzgerald? Not Fitzgerald. Sounds Irish. Nebraska, Washington, Hudson. Hudson. What about Rock Hudson? Get your coat on. I'm going to introduce Rock Hudson to Hollywood. Listen by searching for the Distinct Nostalgia podcast or visit distinctnostalgia.com. we got to do something about your voice, kid. We're going to snap your vocal cords. What? Ah. Uh, louder. Ah. Uh, louder. Uh. Rock. Winner of the BBC's first ever online audio drama award. Look, Dale. I'm dying of this godforsaken disease. And pretty soon thousands, maybe millions, will die the same way. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. So Kirsty Graham was talking to us from the University of St. Andrews all about those bisexual apes, the bonobos, who I kept calling for quite a while because I couldn't really get get it around in my mouth for some reason. I kept calling them boo-boos. I don't know, I have no idea why, but they were boo-boos to me. Um, anyway, what did you both make of that? Some interesting, I mean, fascinating, really. I mean, the whole issue of, first of all, of, of, of animals and personality, I find really fascinating. I think that's an issue that's not really been explored properly you know not not just in apes but in cats and dogs and all the rest of it so i look forward to more research on that area because i I do think animals have all got interest really interesting uh personalities and and of course you nikki have been looking after your dog uh your um last few weeks kind of how's that gone how's how's things going with looking after the well it was all wonderful but now that we've been put in tier four i'm not allowed to go see the dog anymore so just Uh as we've bonded I've had it taken away from me. Oh, no. I'll just have to get a real dog of my own, but I don't know how I'm going to get away with it. Just remind people who've not who've not necessarily caught up with the previous episodes, what, what's the situation with this dog? You were sort of looking after it at certain times of the day, weren't you? Yes, yes. So I used the Borrow My Doggy app to match with somebody who needed somebody to babysit their little puppy, a Sprocker Spaniel called Bingley, very, very cute just three months old but now because of tier four in London we're not allowed to visit each other's houses so I can't really I suppose they could pass me the dog in a park to walk but I, he's so little that I'd hate for him to run off in the wrong direction so I just think I have to wait a bit longer oh and has he got a bit of a personality such personality he was the naughtiest dog in the puppy class apparently as I said before and um yeah just I, there's no way that there's no way that dog is not its own person I mean, it's a dog, but you know what I'm saying. There's no way that dog does not have a sense of self. It has a sense of self, absolutely. And I picked that up in just spending a couple of hours with him. 
Fabulous, fabulous. And did um, obviously stressful times at the moment. Did uh, did he manage to relax you? Oh, he was hugely relaxing because he's just so he moved. He, he needed. He demanded so much attention that you couldn't possibly think about anything else. So if you had a problem, you couldn't focus on it. You just had to make sure that he wasn't going to bite your ear or chew his toy the wrong way or I don't know, eat the sofa or something. So yeah, it was actually brilliant. Uh, but at the beginning, of course, it was a bit embarrassing because he was trying to hump your... Um, <laughs> he was trying to hump because I was wearing a fur gilet that was the same colour and shade as him. So, and the same kind of textures. I think he must have thought that I was just a much bigger dog. Well, I like the idea that he thought I was a bigger dog because I think that's quite fun. <laughs> but yeah, he did try and hump the gilet. But I, I mean, that's fine. I don't mind. It wasn't a big deal. Got <laughs> to get your thrills where you can find them, eh, Ash? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and speaking of which, bonobos. What do we make of the bonobos then, Nikki? I thought this interview was absolutely brilliant. I loved um, the attention to detail that Katie has obviously spent. You know, she's dedicated a lot of her life to studying these creatures. But I thought what was particularly fascinating was what I want to know is um, if they are displaying behaviours that are similar to ours, but we don't do them anymore. Is it because we've repressed those behaviours in ourselves? So you know when she's talking about the genital rubbing and the penis fencing with the, the males, is that basically something that humans would do if we hadn't intervened socially? That's what I want to know. That's so weird. That was my, like, that was what I was thinking. <laughs> well, it's a weird one because obviously, like, we're all, so, it's not just like society's conditioned us in this way. Like, we have evolved, like, so, you know, there, there's that whole thing of like, well, maybe we just wouldn't do that anyway, even if it hadn't have been for like, this whole man, woman, that's it, like, a child are married and die, like, you know, if, so it's a weird one. I do think that, that it kind of taps into a little bit of what I always think around, like, m men who have to be seen as like, we're men and we're straight, or, or you know, we're men and we're gay and that's it and how hard it is for bisexual men in the middle to be like, kind of like, well, this, like, what, what's wrong with this in-between space and, and all of that, and how people have to stick to such clear identities and be in their boxes, that actually, well, in nature, maybe it's just a bit like, you can do this and it doesn't mean you're gay, it doesn't mean you're straight, it's just like, behavior you do, and it's fine, and it's not a big deal. So I quite, I quite like that element of it. I thought the bisexual male fencing was so funny because it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it just for me I mentioned it didn't I you know for me it's like that's what men are like isn't it really men are very competitive at the end of the day <laughs> you could you could you can imagine uh, imagine it happening in, in a way but what about the rubbing the the female female rubbing I think it was more the sense of the females being willing to be uh vulnerable physically vulnerable with each other as well in order to benefit the group because that is something that women do all the time I mean isn't isn't that what gossip is? Isn't that what divulging secrets about things is, about sharing personal things with other women? That's a form of bonding. And we don't do it physically, but we do in a way. I don't know if you've ever watched girls when they're kind of preening and they're saying, oh, where did you get your coat from? Oh, that looks nice. Like, isn't that kind of close to it? I don't know. It didn't seem that different to me in a way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And then there was also the thing about the affection side of things, wasn't there? We talked about the sex, but then there's this thing of picking bits out of their hair and their, their fur and all that kind of stuff, but doing it longer. And, and, and then, of course, some of, some of the apes spending more time with each other than others did and things like that. I thought, obviously, she said that that research was fairly at, at early stages, but um, I found that, that fascinating as well. 
Well, what I was thinking about um, when I was listening to it was as well, this whole thing of like, just because something's done with genitals doesn't always mean it's sexual. If that, if that makes sense, it's like penises and vaginas, like they serve a sexual purpose, but they also serve other purposes as well. And it like made me start thinking about stuff like, like I've gone to nudist beaches and stuff. I wouldn't say that was a sexual thing. It was like, obviously you're naked and it's like, you know, that there's that element, but it's like, no, and this, I'm getting something from this that's not about sex, if that makes sense. And then, you know, you kind of bring on the fence of it. Could, could, could two men fence together and it not be sexual, but they, they were just messing around, it was a joke? I don't know, because then it kind of comes back to what Nikki says of like, we put this stigma on things. It's like, that's a penis, it's sexual. And it's like, it's one of the many things it can be is sexual. No, absolutely. I, I think I think you're absolutely right. It's um, yeah. I mean, it's like when Amanda says uh, in the in our opening gambit in uh, on bisexual brunch right at the very beginning of our show, uh, we use the clip where Amanda says, you know, if there wasn't any rules, there wasn't anything set at the beginning, all the rest of it, then people could just be themselves. And you know, and and actually, you're right. You know, it doesn't mean that necessary things are are about sex as such. You know, it, it, there's lots of different things that it could be. And it could be, you know, it's also about communication. I mean, the other thing that was interesting was that a lot of what they do seems to be around food, <laughs> doesn't it? You know what I mean? You know, a lot of this this connection seems to be around, you know, certain times of the year when certain foods are ripe. You know what I mean? It just sounded really celebratory. They're like, oh, the big harvest is in. Because what, what was she saying? There was a fruit as big as a basketball, I think she said. I mean, it just sounded ginormous by anyone's standards, let alone, let alone a bonobo. I mean, they're actually quite big, aren't they, really? But yeah, it just sounded like they were basically having a massive party and then they were just kind of, you know, doing any kind of rubbing as a result of being just generally happy in their lives. So I don't know, it just sounded delightful. Yeah, because at the end of the day, and this is something I think everyone often forgets, sex is all, is all about, surely, sexual contact, affection, whatever it may be, is all about human beings wanting connection isn't it it's all about human beings seeking some kind of support or you know recognition or whatever it may be some some comfort that's what it that's what it's about and i think actually we've as human beings we've lost sight of that to an extent um and to our detriment which is probably what leads to um a lot of mental health issues. Perhaps um, if they do a study into mental health, the bonobos are probably in a better position than we are, <laughs> in a way, you know. I don't know if sex is just for comfort, though. Like, I feel like, you know, sex, you can have sex to show off. You can have, you can have angry sex. <laughs> like, there's so many different kinds of sex. I don't think it's just for comfort. But isn't the end know. point comfort, I think, I suppose, is what Ash is trying to say. So, like, if you're having angry sex, aren't you, tr aren't you basically trying to dispel the uncomfortable feelings that you have and then reach part of comfort, basically? Like, basically get your serotonin back up. Isn't that why we do it? No, not if it's, like, an ex that someone you've broken up with and you're just having hate sex as the last <laughs> time and that's it, you're never going to see them again. Like, well, like, I, read a, I read an article about that. Um, it was so funny. It was something like, yeah, me and my girlfriend, we broke up and then, like, she came around to get her stuff. So we had sex one last time, hateful sex. And that's how my son was conceived. And it was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that's really, like, that you feel guilty forevermore if that's how your child had been conceived. <laughs> but when I was younger and in my 20s and going out on the pool all the time and, and meeting people, I was never, I mean, some people are, some people just want to go and have, have sex and that's it and uh, they're not interested in anything else but I always hoped that every single person I met was going to be a long-term relationship 
So, you know, I mean, I eventually realised that that wasn't, you know, that wasn't likely to be the case. And I became quite cynical. And I think a lot of a lot of gay and bisexual men become very cynical very quickly, actually. Um, but and probably they put up a barrier then about about wanting, you know, trying to get a relationship because they're they're frightened of being frightened of being hurt. I think that happens a, a hell of a lot. But I, I, I remember, you know, going out and being really, really depressed at the end of it all, because actually what I was seeking was not the sexual act. I went through all that because, you know, that's what you do. But actually what I was seeking was the was the connection, was the emotional side of it, the the, the bond, the fact that I wanted somebody to be special, you know what I mean? And I, and I think there's a lot of people out there that go through that. And, and I think it leads to people doing stupid things, you know, making really silly mistakes along the way because they can't communicate that. And I think people feel that often that sex is a way of communicating that that sort of um, that affection kind of thing, and actually, it's not the only way. And they, but they can't actually marry the two together. What, what do you think, Nikki? Yeah, it's very complicated. I think there'll be lots of people that will say, "No, some, I really, honestly, just want the sex from somebody else, and um, I don't seek anything else from them." But then that, in in its own, is a form of connection. It is like a form of being recognised by another human being, so that you're not on your own. You're not seen as a kind of sole unit in the universe. I think. But then equally, you know, sex is multifunctional. And like Lewis is saying, you know, I, I do totally agree with him on that. Like sometimes it's for pleasure. Sometimes it's actually, it, it's actually masochistic. It's a form of pain, I think, if you're revisiting the next sometimes. Sometimes it's about closure. Sometimes it's about proving to yourself you've still got it. You know, so I think like the reasons humans have sex on a chemical level seem quite simple, but the psychology that interacts with that can be very, very much more complex. Yeah, and we're having an open conversation about it. And I think maybe the conclusion is that at the end of the day, we need more of that honesty, don't we? We need to have these conversations to make people feel more comfortable that they're doing what they're doing and it's right and all the rest of it. Because I just think that... You know, we've had this discussion many times, Nikki, but, you know, we're in 2020 now. But I still think we in particular in Britain and America and, you know, the, the, the Western world to an extent, we've still got so many hang ups over sex. And it's just it's just crazy. And you, you think you think you're getting progress and then you realise, bang, something happens. You realise that people are still hung up about it. And, you know, maybe maybe the new world order of technology and whatever is setting up even more new issues that to deal with that make us even more you know the privacy issues and all the rest of it make us even make it even harder we were talking about stis earlier and i and you know the the whole issue of having stis and giving blood i still know people who you know um who are are gay and bisexual who um, struggle with the notion of going to an sti clinic because they see they think there's a stigma about going and turning up and talking to people about their sexual health. They find it really hard. You know, we, we've, we've yeah. still got a long way to go, haven't we? Well, this is all to do with education. I mean, I when you think about the level of general education you have in biology about plants, like all of us learn about osmosis and about photosynthesis and about, I don't know, homeostasis and all, you know, we've got all, we've got all this framework for exactly how kind of like plants go about feeding and getting things for themselves. But we, we, know, we are taught so little about why and how humans have sex you know, apart from the basic, put a condom on a banana. But we don't actually learn what makes us pursue it and why we choose to do it with certain people. We don't learn anything about our emotional health. I mean, that is starting to change with little children. They are being taught more and more about, you know, their sense of self, about having boundaries, and that's to the positive. But we are so far behind in terms of what we need to be talking about. And 
the amount of knowledge every person, every ordinary person should have by the time they leave school about, you know, their nature, essentially. It's the straight people. The straight people are the weird ones. They're so particular about things. And gay people too, a little bit. Bisexuals, we get it. <laughs> We've done the work. We've done the thinking. That's it. So maybe we, maybe we need to go like a bisexual tour of the country and go and speak to all the kids. Tell them it's maybe fine. we need to do a big bisexual re-education program for everybody. Oh my God. That, I think that could work, you know? And then maybe that will end by phobia because the straights will be so thankful for us for like making them see sense. They'll be like, oh, where would you be without the bisexuals? <laughs> exactly. It does sound a bit like Star Trek where they send like one particular new race in to teach like another like space race a lesson. That's kind of like what I'm thinking of along those lines. You can see us all dressed up in Star Trek costumes. <laughs> I don't think bisexuals need that much convincing to dress up in sci-fi costumes. No, I don't either actually do that. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous guys. Well, um, that's Bisexual Brunch for 2020. In 2021, we're going to be hearing a lot more stories, individual stories about being bisexual. Lots of people have been in touch with us. It's really heartening to hear people getting in touch with us and saying that we've provided a lifeline for them in terms of wanting to open up about their bisexuality. Fantastic. So we're going to be hearing from some new stories in the new year. We're also going to open up things creatively as well to people who are creating music and art and other things. We'd like to give people an opportunity through Bisexual Brunch to showcase what they do, particularly on the music side of things, because there's lots of people who are bisexual out there, of course, who are creating music. It doesn't have to be about being bisexual. It could be just the fact that you happen to be bisexual, but we'd like to give you an opportunity to air the, the creativity and the work that you're doing. So please get in touch with us. If you can contact us via Twitter, of course, but also if you want to directly um, and go into a lot more detail, contact us at info at madeinmanchester.tv. That's info at madeinmanchester.tv and we'll uh, we'll, we'll um, talk to you about uh, your creativity and see where we can we can come in. Because this is quite important, isn't it? One of the things we've said, uh, Louis Sandicky, is that one of the things we want to do is to try and understand the whole cultural side of being bisexual. And often it's something that's not really explored. We talk about the sex, we talk about the basics and whatever, but actually gay people, lesbians, they have an identity that's emerged over a long time. The bisexual culture side of things tends to be repressed, very much so, erased and all the rest of it. And maybe opening things up, Nikki, will help us to understand that a little bit more. Yeah, I would love that. I mean, because I think increasingly in pop culture, we're seeing more representations of bisexuality. I mean, my favourite singer, my favourite artist is Janelle Monet, And she has a great song where she has a video that's basically all about not being able to choose between men and women. And she's kind of like seen like crawling over to them and kind of them fighting over it and stuff. And I absolutely love the depiction of it. But that's very, very new and very, very recent. So, you know, I just want to know what other things do people find, other stories that they find that they relate to and what do they kind of want to share culturally and what should we all be sharing? Absolutely. And maybe, Lewis, maybe we should, uh, we're talking about pop culture, maybe, you know, the three of us should uh, launch a, our own pop career. Can, can you sing, Lewis? Are you a good singer? No, but I could take off my shirt and be a good backing <laughs> dancer. I'll, I'll do what Victoria Beckham did for the Spice Girls. I'll just stand there and mime and point and pose. I can do that. But just on that point about culture, like honestly, because, you know, I've been doing this a while now, and when you do see that there are similarities b beyond your sexuality, it does mean something. You get quite excited. Like there was a story, I think it was either earlier this year or maybe the tail end of last year, where it was like 
this guy had built his daughter um, a bisexual chair because he said bisexuals couldn't sit straight. And I was reading it with like my legs, like doing like whatever, like just crazy. And I'm like, oh my God, that, is that a thing that bisexuals can't sit straight? Because I literally cannot sit in the same position for more than 10 seconds. And then also with the whole idea that like bisexuals are really into their sci-fi and stuff. And I, I think I wrote an article on this before about maybe we should stop trying to have bisexuals in these LGBT spaces and let's like have a space at Comic-Con then, if that's where we're all gonna be anyway. So I think there's so much we can learn. I'm really excited to jump into it in 2021 and actually see what, what culture and what similarities we all find um, in that bisexual space. And food, of course, mentioned in the Bonobos interview. We've called it Bisexual Brunch and as Kirsty agreed, it's appropriate really. And we're going to have to bring some food into this show. I know we're all still doing this in lockdown, but uh, in the new year, I want all of us to come armed with, uh, with something, maybe a fruit or something to eat during the show. Okay? There's a challenge for you. Well, we should have bisexual. We have bisexuals from around the world like send in different interesting fruits that they think represent bisexuality and we could try them. They might have gone off by the time they get to us though. I'm not sure I'm uh. on this idea, guys. Hang on. I think what we need is suggestions of things that people think are particularly bisexual to eat and then we will eat them on the show. That's how we should Okay, do. fine. We'll prepare myself. We're probably not going to be able to get anything into the UK anyway. Mix of COVID and Brexit, like we're going to have to grow our own food anyway, isn't it? Yeah, we're going to be back eating up turnips out of the ground. It's going to be hideous, but you know. I'm excited for it. I want to grow my own veg. I think it'd be great. I feel like my granddad. (laughs) Oh, I love Louis. He always puts a positive spin on something that's terrible. Okay, well, that's Bisexual Brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at, at Bisexual Brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. Do you think that, that would be great? We all just have to live a simpler life. We'll, we'll have our turnips and stuff. and. I'll take, I'll pull out a turn and be like, Nikki, you won't believe it. I'll send you a picture. I'll be like, I'm going to send you some. And you'll, you'll be like, oh, Lewis has sent me a turnip. And you'll wait a few days for it to come. And it'll just be a simpler time. None of this like zooming around and phones going off. I think we just need a simpler time. Our conversation last week about the, the retro radio time seems to have caught on. You seem as though you're doing the, you're doing the good, good life now, Lewis. You got me thinking about retro. I'm going to, you know, watch a bit of Murder, She Wrote today and think of a simpler time when you could solve crimes without forensics and just good intuition. Like, I, I, that's what I want. I just want to live a simple life. This programme is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you.